thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. I am your host, Vincent Aiello, and this week, we're taking a little break from our normal routine. We've been hitting it pretty hard all year, and we are working on initiatives for future endeavors, such as Army Aviation Month coming up in August, as well as recording interviews for an entirely new podcast we're working on, and we'll have more details about that another time. But for this week, we are going to offer an intermission. It's a replay of a happy hour interview that I recorded back in May. Now, Happy Hour, as you will learn, is available to our Patreon supporters, and it's just a less formal, more casual discussion on just whatever we think of talking about. And this week, I think you'll really like it because it's with Mr. Jeffrey Brain, who is a UK-based hurricane and mosquito pilot from World War II, and he's going to talk all about his experiences just even getting into the Royal Air Force in the first place, but his training, and then also getting down to where he fought the Japanese. He did not fight in the European theater. So I think you'll really enjoy that. But first, just a couple quick announcements uh, that I feel you should know about. First thing, our big wing tanker guest, Mark Hasera, you remember Sluggo? Well, he has decided to offer a few of his tanker pilot lessons from the cockpit books for a giveaway to our listeners. And so if you head over to our Facebook or Twitter pages, you will find details on how to sign up for that. And you need to hurry and do it because this episode airs on July 23rd and the giveaway ends tomorrow, July 24th. So again, head over to Facebook or Twitter and look for our giveaway information for Mark Hacera's Tanker Pilot Lessons from the Cockpit. Now, another thing is we are regrouping a little bit and cleaning up shop and we're deleting a few things that maybe aren't getting the attention they deserve. And so one of the things that went away recently was our Reddit account. So if you followed us there, our apologies, but hopefully you can follow us on other social media instead. Next, we have a new article on our musings tab of our website. It's from our teammate, Rich Cooper. It's called Coming Out of Lockdown, and it's 10 tips on aviation photography. Rich Cooper is a journalist and an aviation photographer, and he's got some tips and tricks for those of us who have been cooped up for the last few months, if we can get back out there to get ourselves and our gear ready to start photographing military aircraft again. And then finally, we've got a bunch of new Patreon supporters, and I want to just announce who they are. We have Strike Leads, Scotty Lee, Joe Kunzler, Darren Day, Nicholas Maglio, Jared Asplund, Matthew Christensen, Terry Alberta, Ivanov Mariscal, Cameron Tribe, Drew Carrier, Jerry Schubert. Now, Jerry Schubert, lefty, is actually an F-18 pilot and one of our happy hour guests. You might actually hear him on a future intermission. He was kind enough to sign up to support us. Now, we had a couple mission commanders, but they all promoted themselves to Airboss, and that's Tyler Matayoshi, Lucas Kahn, Bill Goller, and Humberto Nieto. And if you recall, on a previous episode, I talked about the fact that I might be furloughed from my airline. Well, let me just reiterate how thrilled I am for people that have stepped up to help support the show. Patreon is a big source of our revenue, and it is going to, I think, help me become a full-time podcaster. 
So not only do these folks help support the show and keep it going, but they also gain access to exclusive content such as early episodes, exclusive episodes, and the happy hours. We also have Zoom debriefs with past guests. We have merchandise and discounts on merchandise and 30-minute phone calls, etc. So it's actually a lot of fun. If you're interested, head on over to patreon.com and look for the Fighter Pilot Podcast. All right, so now we'll get to the interview with Mr. Jeffrey Brain. Again, this is a happy hour replay. And a couple things, just real quick. Uh, Mr. Brain is, shall we say, getting advanced in age, and so you'll hear some subtleties involved with that. Uh, But also, just based on the way we recorded the interview, you're going to hear some thumps and bumps, and you'll also hear a third voice, and that is Mr. Brain's son, Ben, who was there to help that day. But anyway, I think you're really going to enjoy this. He's got some great memories of his time back in the 40s and uh, and his training and fighting the Japanese, and he's just quite the character. So with that, I won't come back at the end. We're going to let him take it out, and I'll see you next time for Army Aviation Month. But let's listen now to Mr. Jeffrey Brain. Well, so let's see. I don't even know where to begin. Now, your name is Mr. Jeffrey Brain, and you... It is. Yeah. Where are you in uh, the UK today? I'm in Benjamin's home now, back in in, in Gloucestershire, uh, and uh, I'm very enjoying a very nice outlook with fields and get everything else around there with the horses working and all that. So okay. like, I'm a very fortunate person because I'm in a very countryfied area, and it's <laughs> a very beautiful countryside is Gloucestershire. Well, I wish I could come see it sometime. I've not explored. England or the United Kingdom, so I have that on my list. I'm certain you would enjoy it if you ever, whenever get over here. Ah, very well. Good. Yeah. Well, let's see. Now, do you have a birthday coming up? Are you going to be what 98 years young this year? I, unfortunately, it is. Yes. <laughs> well, what's fortunately, the alternative? Fortunately, okay. I've got, fortunately, I've got a birthday, but the age, the age rather frightens me. I'm lucky. I don't feel my. I don't feel 97. <laughs> ah. Very good. Well, better that they keep counting than we stop at one number, correct? I, I would say. I mean, right. I'd like to, I still like to be, I still like to run and, uh, and walk fast rather than I can do now. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to spend a little uh, time with us here, I guess. And I want to talk about your flying experiences because you have quite the experiences uh, during the Second World War. Well, it was quite an interesting war, I must say. I remember, remember what you've got to do is I started up, I was a schoolboy at 16. And I was obviously, when, uh, the, the Battle of Britain was on. I came out of school, I mean, just to take my O-levels, which is a, the, the, the early stage of, 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 of matriculation at school. And uh, the Battle of Britain was, was shooting up above, and I thought it's much more exciting to to, to go up there rather than down here on the ground. <laughs> but they were not taking 16-year-olds, so what did you have to do? Well, I, at that time, my father was in the home guard in the local area. Uh-huh. The home guard, you've probably heard of them. And Indeed. I, at that time, at 16, I was allowed to ride a motorbike, and I bought myself a second-hand Norton motorbike. <laughs> and I used to be a dispatch rider for the home guard in my spare time when I wasn't at school. And then I came out of school, and the Battle of Britain was shooting a few things up in the air. And I thought, this is much more exciting. And I went off to Birmingham, which is the nearest big town, and joined the RAF. Uh, but I, went, first of all, wanted to join the fleet air arm. 
because I thought, this is crazy. The battlefield, the aerodromes in England are being bombed to death. Why not use the sea? And at that time, you had a lot of flying boats taking place, which transport was canopus of these big flying boats between America and England. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather join the, the, the fleet air arm. And they took one look at me and said, oh, well, do you? I said, I, 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 I'm 16. Uh, and they said, oh, come back in a year's time. <laughs> Next desk, and they said, uh, the RAF this was, and they said, what, how old are you? And I said, oh, I put an extra year on my age. Now I said, I'm 17. Sign here. <laughs> I signed on there and joined the force. So I, therefore, I became now a, a, a person who has to be trained as an Air Force personnel. At I that see. time, I hadn't. Oh, the first thing was they sent me off to a place called Cardington. This is the Air Force. Okay. Uh, I was just somewhere in Gloucester, somewhere in Norfolk, the part of England. And they tested my eyes and they said, you are not good enough to be a, fly, a pilot. We'll put you down as a navigator. So, as a, so I went, went as a navigator. Now, they sent me to, as, an in, as an initial training for the pilots or navigators or air crew was down in the south of England, down in a place called Torquay, on the south coast of England. And I went down there and I was quite adept. The officers there were, were, were short of food. Uh, and all the staff there, because England was suffering at this time. And I, they used to tell me, can you catch fish? And I said, yes. I, can you get birds' and eggs off the, the rocks? And I said, yes. And I used to collect the birds' eggs. If there were three, if there were, if there were two in the nest, I'd take one. And then each, each day I'd take another one. Well, long as there were left two there for the birds to, to, to go. Anyhow, the officers enjoyed my eggs, which I got, which they were short of. They said, can you catch fish? I said, yes. So I, was, I, I had a, a, a boat and I was to fly, a, a, go around the coast at night because you were limited where you could go at night at Torquay. So therefore, I had a lot of freedom, which I hadn't before. And I did. The officers there in Torquay said, you're a useful guy. Are you going to go back to, are you going off to Canada? I said, yes, to learn to fly. They said, well, would you like to stay here another, another month? And I said, because we need a bit extra food. So I said, yes. And what and what can we do for you in return? I said, you can get me another medical to examine my eyes because I'm certain I could be a pilot. So I said, yes, we'll get that for you. So I went and I remustered there and they made me, a, they said, yes, you can go to your eyes. I can't see anything wrong with your eyes because it was a very small test. And off to Canada I went. But I wasn't, I was delayed there three or four months getting this done. So I went on a, to Liverpool and joined a ship with 20, 30 other youngsters. Uh, we were AC2, second-class airmen brain, and the, the difference between the ordinary air-class and we were a white flash in our hats, in our, in our peak cap. Uh-huh. And we were very proud to be air crew going after Canada. And I got on it. They put me on a ship with about 30 others, uh, and I got on the on this boat. It was a, it's a meat ship. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was Bulgarian or Romanian, with thirty others, all going to Canada. Now, some of us, at that time, America was not in the war, and they said, "Well, some of you have got to wear grey, white, going to be supplied with grey suits, grey suits, because you're going to go off not as, as British pilots or British air crew." You're going to go off as American, young Americans. So when I got to, we got flew up, we got over there. The U-boats were pretty dashing, 
and we had a hectic time going over on the Ruahini, over to Canada, uh, and we landed at Nova Scotia, uh, and uh, from there we were segregated. Those were, uh, who, who, who were in uniform were sent down to, to uh, St. Catharines in Ontario, near Niagara Falls. The others went off somewhere in America. Uh, 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 well, I know I'm not certain where the others went to, but they wore gray suits. But I was then then started initial training by uh, in Ontario at St. Catharines, a lovely lovely airport. It was a small airport, right next door to Niagara Falls, and uh, uh, they I learned to fly. Now some of us had American instructors, although America was not in the war. Remember then. Others, mm -hmm. others were Canadian instructors. I can't remember now which instructor I had, but I had several instructors. And then they taught you to fly, and we had a wonderful time learning to fly. And uh, Ontario was a lovely state to be in. Uh, and I learned to fly across countries and like that. And yeah. I mean, I used to cheat a bit because I used to fly low along. When I didn't know where I was on a cross country, <laughs> I'd fly low along the railway line. <laughs> and read the signs on, on the side of the on the side of the stations. And, and I never got lost of them because there was too many landmarks there. There was lovely lakes and everything else. Yeah. And as I say, I, if I was a bit doubtful, I'd nip down and have a look what's on the sign on the side of the station. <laughs> now, this was when I was flying solo, obviously, not with an instructor. I see. Uh, but the instructor. Then we had an awful lot of training on, on in, 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 in simulators in. I forgot what you quite called them. Uh, the, sim sim the simulators were uh, uh, like a, a little cabin, uh, uh, and the instructor sat on the side, and, uh, and you, a flight simulator. Mm -hmm. I don't know the name for them. I forgot what the name is. Okay. Any, anyhow, I did a lot of training over there, and uh, after th three months, I was reasonably good pilot, mm -hmm. and from there I moved up to to Ottawa and Canada to learn to fly what they call service flying training. And then I flew from, I, I still flew harbors. Yes, I flew, flew, still flew harbors. And I remember at Ottawa, we used to, to night, we had night flying as well there. And the, unfortunately, we had to fly. The landing were on a few, with a few hurricane lamps or small lamps down the runway. And I used to treat, cheat if I could, but I used to follow Trans-Canada Airway airliners were still flying then. If I could get behind a Trans-Canada airliner coming in, it made it much easier for me to land. Because <laughs> obviously, uh, uh, I, I, I was then flying harvest, which got a, 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 a retractable undercarriage. And uh, it was always important. So, uh, you know, and at night, uh, learning to fly was flying solo at night was always quite much more difficult uh, from the point of view of just learning how, how the plane reacts in, the in reality, in the real dark. Anyhow, from there I moved on uh, uh, back to up, Uplands in, on, the, on, in, 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 on the west coast, on the east coast, on the east coast of Canada. And uh, uh, when I, before I left my Air Force train, before I left Ottawa, uh, fortunately there were out of 30 of us, two or three were given commissions. I, got, I was lucky enough to be one of the pilots to be a pilot officer. So uh, I went back to England, not on a, a meat ship, but on a proper uh, tr transport liner. 
and from there on, wherever, wherever, wherever I went to, I, I think I went first of all. I then went, I went up to northern England to to, to see whether whether I was good as a fighter pilot or as a, or, or, or as a bomber pilot, and uh, they decided that I was more of a fighter pilot than I was a bomber. Pilot. So there I went down to the east coast of England, down in Suffolk, and I flew a Blenheim bomber for, for, for practice, not, not in action, uh, and uh, then was quickly moved on, on to Hurricanes. And from there on Hurricanes, I stayed for a long time. And I did all my early fighting in the Hurricanes. Uh, the one thing about a Hurricane, they, when they supplied us with them in our squadron, they always all had 12 machine guns. Oh, God, we, 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 I, I, I built them a practice shoot, which, which, uh, which I'm just trying to tell you where I was. Oh, that was later on. And I'd done some practice shooting, and I said, this aircraft with 12 machine guns is too heavy, not very active enough. So I took four out on each side, and I was left with, 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 uh, left with eight machine guns. I've made. In the meantime, the Japanese entered the war, and they were they were invading Burma, or they wanted or, or and Malaya. Yes. They'd taken the they taken Singapore and were going up towards to Burma, uh, from Rangoon, the capital of Burma, on the way up to Calcutta, and but that before that, I was already. They were doing a lot of bombing at that time, and by that time, I was sent down to. Uh, Ceylon, uh, which is Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Yes, Sri Lanka. Just, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I was sent to Colombo, and then they decided to send me to a squadron. Which would I like? And I said, I don't know where. Where are the squadrons? Two seven three squadron was in Colombo. Two six one squadron, which I joined, was in, on the east coast of, of um, Ceylon, uh, a place called Colombo, Colombo, and it was. We used to call it Trincomalee, uh, and uh, I flew from there against the Japanese, uh, flying hurricanes. The Catalinas, Americans were very good because they came in on observation planes with Catalinas, and they'd been photographing all the damage which the Japanese were already attacking northern, northern Australia. And my best mate was... Fellow called Jolly Kerr, a French Canadian, and he got shot down in a plumbing Catalina by, by Japanese in the Catalina. Wasn't that just interrupting? Wasn't that slightly more tragic because he he decided to go on the Catalina with the Catalina boys on his day off? Exactly, he uh, decided on his day off he'd go with the Catalina boys because the Catalina boys were very good because they used to bring over beer, crates of beer, and we were only allowed a bottle of whiskey a month. And we used to exchange our bottle of whiskey for a dozen bottles of beer. And he uh, became very friendly with the Catalina crew who turned up with this. Um, so, but he was on a day off. Jolly Kerr, he was a French-Canadian guy, and I'd met the French-Canadians well when I was training in Canada, and I got on very well with him. Poor, poor chap was shot down. Anyhow, uh, the war continued. From there on, I was sent up to Calcutta, uh, into Burma, and I stayed on an aerodrome there. Although Alipore was the main aerodrome, but I was stationed then at Alipore, but then was moved just down a bit further into Burma to a place called Dom Dom. 
And I think that's where the dum-dum bullets were originally made, the soft-nosed bullets, uh, uh, which used to do more damage than a, than a steel bullet. Uh, and dum-dum was our little base down there. And from dum-dum, we operated down the, down the Ara, what they call the Arakan, that part of Burma down in towards, towards Rangoon. Uh, and uh, we operated from there. The Japanese would, then, by this time, the Japanese had stopped their night bombing uh, and concentrating on, 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 on day, day, day bombing. And uh, therefore, I was operating off, off, off an aerodrome down there. And as the Japanese receipt retreated, we moved our bases down the coast. We built aerodromes here, there, and everywhere. Uh, in fact, just a little nursery rain we developed. A little bit of mutty, which is mud, fell out of the sky one day, and it's, it, it landed on a, on a bit of country not so very far away. When the Air Force saw it, they said, that's where we'll put our Air Force next. And we, they built the Air Force and ports on the, on, the, on the grass fields where they could lay a, a track, a, a metal track, for us to land on. So we gradually moved south through down, but down Burma, and most of the most of the Japanese were transporting uh, their arms along the Irrawaddy River in Burma, and uh, uh, we had an awful lot of trouble stopping the Japanese. They used to put strings of, of wire meshes across across or wires across the ravines to stop us getting down there to to, to shoot up these darn Japanese transports. Anyhow, from then on, my next move was down to. Oh, I did a, a stint there. I was there for X number of months, I can't remember. Uh, and and, uh, and unfortunately, I developed malaria. Uh, and they took said, look here, you've got a holiday. We sent me up to Missouri or in North. Near, at this time, I was operating quite near the Himalayas. Uh, and Mount Everest was on my doorstep. And I used to fly around quite near Mount Everest all the, t all the time. And I always worry as a young pilot about downdraft off, 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 off Mount Everest. However, unfortunately, I never suffered from that. So, I think um, just to get a sort of order of service, the, when you were attacking the supply boats on yes. the Irrawaddy River, yes. was that in a hurricane? Yes. That was. Right, okay. All right. Uh, so, the hurricane. Uh, Right now, my uh, at that time, where where was I? Oh, uh, you just got malaria. I got malaria. The I came back. I came back from uh, with malaria. They sent, they sent me up to the hills to get over the malaria, and I came back after two or three weeks, and uh, back to the squadron. And at that time, uh, they said, "Look here, we, we want to going to send you to a thing called an air fighting training unit." Uh, they didn't let me straight back onto operations. From Calcutta, they sent me down to northern India to, uh, uh, to uh, trying to think of the name of the place. It's in Bengal. Uh, Amada Road. Amada Road, in, um, you know, 100 miles from Calcutta or something like that. And at that time, they said, what, what we want you to do here is to teach the Americans how to shoot. In other words, they were very good pilots, but they have no idea how a distance, and they're using all their bullets before before they hit the target. <laughs> uh, so therefore, 
uh, we're going to you're going to fly Harvards and you're going to sit in the back seat and you're going to put an American in front. And several squadrons of Americans came down to Amada Road every month. We had a new squadron, and they came down with wonderful aircraft. I think P-38s and, and Thunderbolts, different squadrons came down at different times with their aircraft. And I've just forgot the twin boom. Uh, P-38. P-38, yes. Lightning. Yeah. And I, I never flew a Lightning, but I obviously flew Thunderbolts a lot with, with them. But, uh, uh, but mainly they were sat, we put them in the front seat of a Harvard, and I sat in the back uh, and flew the airplane from the back and let them attack. Now, the targets often, we had targets in the sky. Uh, uh, towed by multi-venous, uh, oh, retired multi-venous dive bombers. And they used to tow these targets, and we used to come in to attack the target. And uh, the, the bullets were fitted. The, 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 each different student had different bullets fitted, different colours on the on their on on the bullets. And uh, we knew who had hit what on the targets by the colour of number of coloured bullet holes in the target mm. or where they were done. So I did a stint there for about three months. And then the uh, I was then made a squadron leader. Uh, they said, we want to, put, to take you off and we're going to, we knew a lot of aircraft coming down called Mosquitoes. They're coming down from over from England and uh, then a new airplane, would you like to fly them? So I said, yes. So we made me a squadron leader in charge of I've forgotten what what number of the squadron was at the moment. 84. 84 squadron. And okay. then I flew mosquitoes for the rest of the war onwards. But the grand thing about a mosquito was you've got a navigator for one thing, and our, dis our distance we travel road much further and longer. Uh, oh, I did get, I before I left my 261 squadron, uh, I did shot, shot down two or three rather important aeroplanes uh, because they were, uh, they gave me a, I've still got it now at home, a sword, and, uh, which the Japanese used to commit harikari with, rather a fancy sword, uh, <laughs> as a present down there. One of the aircraft you shot down had some important Japanese people? Yes, it was rather an important aeroplane. And it was rather amusing because they sent a cable back to my squadron headquarters. They said, Congratulations on shooting down that particular airplane. But I gather her sister is about to arrive any minute. So the intelligence... It was a, it, it was a Betty, wasn't it? What, what? Was it a Betty? I, wasn't it? On your, on your telegram. It was a, that was the I think it Japanese... Was, it, was, it was. The, it was the, the allied terminology mm -hmm. for it. I think it was. Anyhow... Um, and I think it had the Japanese sort of top brass on, didn't it? Yes, it did. But that was hurricanes. Now I'm back. I know I'm on mosquitoes, and uh, on the mosquitoes we did, we actually advanced tremendously uh, into into Malaya because the Japanese were retiring, and uh, it was fortunate because uh, as a squadron leader, I was able to borrow an aeroplane periodically to get where I wanted to to do. A bit of private shopping or whatever. You're from Calcutta, <laughs> so it is a, it's a, it's a amazing. In fact, one used to have a rather private airplane, and I I did I didn't like anyone flying my airplane when I wasn't there. Then fly somebody else's airplane because I never used to pull my supercharger out until I was in action, and I didn't over I hated overheating my engine or over racing so because I might need it sometimes seriously, and. Uh, I always remember 
My brother at the same meantime was a doctor in England, was sent over to Burma because down near Akyab on the Burma coast, there's an awful lot of soldier regiments had gone down that area. And were, the, the blacks were already uh, rebelling against the sergeants, the British sergeant majors and, and the drill. And they not killed off few of the, few of the sergeant, NCOs. My brother was a doctor at the time, was sent down from England down to Kakab. And I always remember going down, when I heard my brother come over to Burma, I went and picked him up in a mosquito. And I sat in between both my pilot and, and myself. And I always had to, he was a, little, a couple of years older than I was, and had a lot of smart sports cars in England. And he, I had to stop him from interfering and, uh, and pressing the buttons here and there and everywhere. I said, don't touch a thing, sort of idea. And he was, when I got back to Calcutta from this one occasion, I borrowed an aeroplane. I, I landed and parked it alongside at Alipur, this is on the aerodrome. And I said, my God, that's my aeroplane. They said, what do you mean? That's your aeroplane. I said, somebody's borrowed my aeroplane while I've been flying this darn thing down to pick you up. So I don't, I don't like people flying my aeroplanes. They become rather precious. But uh, uh, at what stage this, yes, this is when I'd been, after being at Armada Road. But the, my interest at Armada Road was with the American squadrons. They were wonderful pilots and the aircraft were out of this world, to one eyes. Uh, and we had to teach them how to shoot, how to get in close to shoot. In other words, it used to be, don't pull the push the button until you see the whites of their eyes. You've got to get in really close. Okay. Otherwise, you waste all your ammunition. So I did do a lot of good like that sort of idea. And then they, from that angle, they made me a squadron leader fly mosquitoes. And then I flew mosquitoes all over the place, down in Burma. Uh, and I finished up, um, I, I finished up uh, in uh, Singapore. And from Singapore, the Japanese then dropped the blooming atom bomb. No, America dropped the atom yeah. bomb, yeah. and the war stopped like a like a shot. And I, that time, I was on process of landing in 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 uh, in. Uh, there's two aerodromes in, in Singapore, uh, Salita, and Don uh, Salita and Changi. Now, Changi was the one uh, where they used to have the prisoners. Uh, the Japanese used to keep their prisoners. So I flew down there and, 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 and operated sometime from, from, from Singapore until the then war over, Jap the, 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 the atom bomb had been dropped, the Japanese had submitted. Uh, then now, Unfortunately, the Dutch colonies of, of, of Indonesia decided they want, Dutch wanted the Indonesia back because it had been taken over by the Japanese during the war. And uh, there was a lot of trouble going on between the Japanese, uh, 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 between the initial occupiers of, Singapore, of uh, Indonesia, that's the indigenous population. They wanted, didn't want Dutch back at all. So there was a bit of a revolution going on between the Dutch, who sent the troops over there to sort out the Indonesians. And I had great trouble, in, and I was sent down from Singapore just to sort the transportation of arms. Because the Japanese in Singapore, at Indonesia, had taken over 
uh, they were in charge, taken over all the women and they shoved them into camps. And these women, Dutch women, were going out of the down camps and being shot up by the Japanese, by the Indonesians. Mm. And I was down there to, to stop the transportation. I remember going down, uh, what, what was I flying? I must have been flying a mosquito, I think I was. And I remember saying, how many trains do you want me to stop? And I remember I used to blow up a train just for sure to get his boiler. Obviously, didn't shoot at the trains itself to stop the engines. I remember one morning I shot, I stopped 12 trains on the main lines. And I said, do you want me to go come back? No, they said, that's enough. You, you stopped the transport. That was it. That's it. It was designed to fly fast and at treetop level, carrying 24 nuclear weapons. Today, it bristles with smart bombs and guided missiles. The B-1 bomber, called the bone by those who fly and maintain it, is the most heavily armed bomber ever built. Sleek and powerful, the bone remains a mainstay of American air power 50 years after its first flight. Hey everyone, this is Ken Katz, Call Sign Primetime, and my book, The Supersonic Bone, A Development and Operational History of the B-1 Bomber, tells the true story of this magnificent airplane. In this book, you'll read stories told to me by those who were there and see lots of great photos of the bone. Anyone with an interest in modern military aircraft will enjoy reading The Supersonic Bone, available through the usual online retailers and aviation booksellers. Pick up your copy today. Uh, and that was the transport of arms. Was transport it? of arms, mm -hmm. yes, on the, the okay. trains. Anyhow, uh, then what was the next incident which happened was, I've forgotten what was. This is exciting. Uh, I do want to ask you, Jeffrey, most airplanes are made out of metal, but that is not the case for the Mosquito. Is that correct? Uh, it, absolutely. Now, there's an interesting point here, because these when the planes first came down... I think they have, they're made of wood, aren't they? Yes. When the planes came down, to, from from Great Britain to to India, northern India, there was stationed at a place called Allahabad, in the just in the north north of India, not too far from from Calcutta, uh, and they came down to our squadron down near Calcutta, and the first couple of um, we used, they used to come in, but we used to dive come in very low. And drop your bomb because they do. Mosquitoes had machine guns and 20, four 20 millimeter cannon as well, and a bomb bay. Uh, and uh, uh, unfortunately, the first we lost a couple straight off. Like we couldn't understand what was happening. But what was happening then till they examined all the mosquitoes to see, and they found out that the main spar to the mosquito was made of not, not metal, but plywood, box, box a box of plywood or a box of, of three, five ply or whatever, and their wings were breaking off. So if, fortunately, the plane I was been flying, uh, the, the, they found out there was no floor in the, in the, in the in this main spar, so I was lucky. But from then on, we had to check all the main spars of the mosquito to see whether they had, the glue had come unstuck or not. Anyhow, so we did have trouble with the mosquito having a main spar of the plywood. Was the entire aircraft was wood, wasn't it? What? Was it was the entire aircraft made of wood? Oh, the whole aircraft was made of wood, yes. Oh, it's a totally wooden aircraft. Whereas the, where the hurricanes were obviously metal, but the, the, this, these were, uh, uh, but the mosquito were had, uh, totally, but they were 
very lovely aircraft to fly, very smooth and very fast. And uh, they're very good for bombing. Uh, and as you said, with four, four cannon as well as the eight machine, I think, I forgot whether we had eight or, or six machine guns. And we were, very, we were a very powerful bit of machinery. And they were lovely to fly. I mean, they're, they're so smooth, which was absolutely fantastic. So I was very proud of my mosquito. And I didn't like anyone else flying it. That's why I was rather precious when I saw <laughs> another, some pinched my aircraft, Ballypore. Dum Dum was a station about 100 miles away. Uh, and uh, I always remember him being invited back to a party when I was, when I was instructing in, 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 in uh, Burma. Uh, uh, being invited to a party one night, and I borrowed the towing aircraft, uh, which was the uh, multi venus dive bomber, and I decided this was one of my off-peak days, and I didn't check out where I was going or tell anybody where I was going, and I remember I'd slip into Dom Dom because no one knows where I'm going. It's quite near where I'm going to my party. And as I came into land, uh, uh, it, was, it was a very foggy day, and the airport was unusable, and they stuck a, 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 multi, a, a mortar mixer in the middle of the aerodrome. They were bearing the wrong way. And I'd gone down 50 yards on the wrong way, crashed. I banged my darn uh, um, I was flying up. Well, was I flying? Oh, I was flying the Volkswagen dive bomber, so I, I smashed up the Volkswagen dive bomber. So uh, we all had to carry parachutes. I felt very ignominiously carrying my parachute off the aerodrome in a in a bag and going to the party and saying, "Sorry, I'll have to come back by train because uh, no no one knows this, etc." But uh, that was I've just forgotten what I was flying at that time. I, I, I was flying the Volta Venus dive bomber. I know, but, I, but you you must have been instructing it. I must have been instructing at the time. I must have been at a Marder Road. I hadn't got onto at that stage. I hadn't got onto mosquitoes. No, it's great. It sounds like you uh, remember this quite clearly, even though it is what almost eighty years ago now, seventy five years ago. And yes. I think you uh, did. You go on to uh, release some leaflets over the uh, Dutch problems, and then. Had a problem with yeah, your no. engine? Oh, yes. Oh, well, Tell us about that. I, that's, that's rather fascinating. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, because uh, I tell you what, my family in, in Indonesia, in Batavia, which was then, I forgot, it's got another name, Batavia, hasn't it? Now? The, the, I, as I landed, I, I was landed on a mosquito. That was right. I landed on a mosquito from, from, from Singapore. And I was invited over to the to the control tower and they said they've got a they've laid on some coffee and biscuits and everything else for you down there and a meal there as I landed. And one of the what they were using the girls who have been in interned during the Japanese time, uh Dutch girls, and there was one very pretty one and I I said, We look at go out to go out tonight. So yes said yes. Uh, so we went out and at that time the Japanese were using, the Indonesians were using Japanese currency. And they say, look here, this Japanese currency, uh, it, it, you can have, how much money do you want to go to party tonight? I said, well, give me 100 pounds. And you, in, in, 
in, in, in, in Japanese currency. I forgot what average that was now. And the currency soon inflated because I took this girl out several times to Chinese restaurants for a meal at night. And I met the family, uh, where she lived, and it was a place called her house. It was a rather smart house called at 47 Aronia Boulevard. In, 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 remember it well. And uh, I used to pick this girl up and take her out at night to a restaurant with, to use up the Japanese currency. Before long, it was it had inflated because the, all the Indonesians wanted was not Japanese currency. They wanted American dollars. Oh, so, wow. so, so there was a private war going on there. But going back, Dad, yeah. there's quite a good tale you've got about a you were dropping leaflets. Oh, God, yes. Uh, while this was going on, when I landed down there uh, in, in Batavia, uh, they said, look here, there's hellish trouble going on with the Japanese, with, with the Indonesians in at the other end of the island in, where was I? Uh, You're in Indonesia. Right at the other end of the island in Indonesia. What's that holiday resort down there? Uh, <laughs> there's a big holiday resort. People go to regularly on holiday. Anyway, Bali? Bali, yes. In Bali. The bloody people, they won't give up their Japanese arms. They're shooting all over the place. But we've got... but. The, Roosevelt, uh, Stalin, and Churchill got together. They said, what are the British doing dropping bloody bombs in Indonesia? They said, well, they won't drop. They, 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 they can't get the Indonesians under control otherwise. They said, well, they can't drop any more bombs unless you drop leaflets beforehand uh, uh, and, and tell them you're kind of going to blow the blowing place up unless they stop uh, on the leaflets and they... I said to them, right, fill it up, and I'll go down to Bali and drop the bloody leaflets for you. So my navigator and I came into the Maya Mosquito, and there the whole lot was full of leaflets. And I said, where are you supposed to drop these through? And they said, well, we've taken one of the aerials out from underneath your seat, and you've got to show them through there. Well, I said this, you've got about a whole packet of leaflets here, that'll take hours to go through there. So I'm being an impatient body, Having spent half an hour there dropping leaflets and not get rid of more than a quarter of them, I said to my navigator, who I nicknamed, it was a flight size at Smalley, he was called Lofty, I called him Lofty, a big guy. I said, for God's sake, Lofty, I'll get rid of the damn leaflets for you. So on the, my, my, my port side, my seat, is, my seat of the mosquito was, was, navigator was on my right and, uh, and I was on the, on the port side. And... Uh, I pulled back my side window and I took great handfuls and chucked them out through my my, my control column between my legs and chucked the leaflets out. And I got rid of 90% of them in about five minutes. And I said, for God's sake, Lofty, we were your way and ours. And I said, Let, let's go home now. So I looked, unfortunately, my I looked down at my instruments. My radio temperature was off the clock, especially on my port engine because my port engine was on where, where, where I'd been throwing the leaflets. Lofty, my navigator on the right side, hadn't he had been obeyed the structures and not thrown out through and he pushed them through the where the aerial had been on the floor. My now I'd I my leaflets had not only blocked the the intake of the port engine, Merlin engine, but also they wrapped themselves around the pito head, which was stuck at the top of the tail. And so, of course, I looked down and I saw my radio temperatures off the clock. 
I've got to I've got to feather that. So I feathered the propeller on that. So that was all right. Well, right, we go for home now. But I looked at my airspeed indicator; it was zero. And I said, "For God's sake, Lofty, we've got no airspeed." Wasn't his fault. No, I said, "Lofty, what are we going to do?" I said, "The only thing for me to do is paper is soft. I've got to find a cloud. Lofty, find me a cloud, no matter where it is. It was a lovely day, and if we go through, if I get to take this aircraft, I can fly it on one engine, all right. I can land it on one engine, all right. But I must have my." I must have an airspeed indicator when I'm landing. Otherwise, I'll never get, when I get back to Batavia, I'll never plan the bloody thing properly. Anyhow, uh, finally, after about half an hour or quarter of an hour, he um, said, there's a cloud over there, Golda. So I'm right. So off I went into this cloud. And of course, the, the good thing happened, always moisture in the wet and the cloud and paper. Uh, it dissolved the paper. My airspeed indicator suddenly shut off. I was like, we're safe on the way home. So I flew home on one engine, uh, which is about an hour away. Bali from Batavia is about an hour, I think. And then when I landed in, 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 in Batavia, they said, God, you got, aren't you landing on one engine? I said, yes. Well, I remember coming into land, because I never landed a mosquito on one engine before. I said, what I'll do is come in at just normal, normal speed. I'll come in high in case... It's no good me trying to go round again if I make a cock up of my approach. So I came in high, and I said, well, if, if a mosque, if a, if a, if a, a, a hurricane will, will side slip, so will this. So I side slipped off a thousand feet quickly down into a decent height to come over the hedge and land it. And within, uh, they to I couldn't on the ground, of course, but mosquito, was no I couldn't, couldn't taxi because I had no only one engine swinging around. So they said, tractor out. Turned my, turned my aircraft in, took the leaflets out of the port engine, and within ten, within an hour, the, the engine was serviced again, and the engine made it all right. So it was rather incident though to land, to suddenly decided I, I cocked it up and put, uh, uh, and, and although I blotted out one engine, I'd also blotted out my airspeed indicator, and a, a pilot's got to know what his airspeed is to do anything. <laughs> I mean, I can fly all right on one engine, but I do like to, to come into land. I've got to know what my speed I'm doing. <laughs> Anyhow, that was only a little incident, a wartime incident. It didn't worry us a great deal, but as long as we got out of it all right, there we are. Yes. Uh, so uh, so a, few, a few little things like that always happen in a pilot's life. I'm first of I all see. crashing into a, crashing a, a, a hurricane into a... Casting a multi vengeance dive bomber, the only one we had to tow our aircraft with. And I always remember the pilot, the pilot of our multi vengeance dive bomber at Amada Road, which was, his, who was to tow the targets for us to shoot at. Uh, he was called Ruggeroni. And I said to Ruggeroni, I said, Look okay, here, we're going to say, I want to borrow your, your uh, multi vengeance tomorrow afternoon. I want to go to a party. They said, I said, I've never flown one. You can be the second pilot, and I'll, I'll fly the aircraft home. So I fly a flight. And poor Rugger only lost his aeroplane because I crashed. Anyhow, <laughs> there we are. That's one of those things in wartime uh, which happens. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yes, things do happen in wartime. After the war, did you remain as a pilot? No. When I came back from the war, I was then 84 Squadron, and they disbanded 84 Squadron uh, before I left 
Indonesia because I came back on the ship. Uh, no, 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 Singapore. I had to, I flew back. I came back from Singapore then. Uh, rather interesting. When we landed on Moscow in a hurricane at Singapore, after the when we the, the atom bomb had dropped, we still went ahead to land. Uh, as 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 it was planned as an invasion, we were going to reinvade Burma at this time. And the two things went wrong was the army transportation was going to put down carriers to land on Singapore, and we were going to and, I, and we I, and we were going to land. We thought there were only about a dozen fighters there, and we could manage to I could knock out the fighters quickly enough with a squadron of hurricanes. And uh, when we actually dropped the atom bomb, we still went ahead with our plan. And we expected to meet about four or five. Uh, uh, I've just tried the name of our the American the the, 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 oh, what, the name it's of Vichy Zeros. No, they weren't zeros. They were what were they? I don't know. Uh, forgot what I called them. Yeah, but there anyhow, there were about a damn dozen of them. So yeah, we still went ahead and we landed anyhow with nothing, with, with no no. The army went ahead and lost all their transport because they put onto an island and it all sank on the way over. So there we are. Now we're landed in Singapore with no transportation because the army cocked it all up, lost the army, lost the transport. Anyhow, so we then commandeered all the Japanese. Uh, uh, transport as far as we could find them. I remember I found myself a very nice sun, uh, very nice English motorbike, sunbeam motorbike. But the trouble was with the tires, the tires, the rubber tires on Japanese transport were awful. I don't know what the Japs were doing during that period of the war, but they plumbing rubber was awful. But I know, <laughs> I know, I, all our tra transportation in Singapore was um, in in Japanese vehicles. Until the army got the thing sorted out. Anyhow, such as such as war time, these things happen. Oh yes. <laughs> so okay. Vincent, I'm just just carry on, Vincent. I'm just moving the microphone so he, the speaker. So when you speak, he can. It's in his ear, so he okay. can hear. No, I appreciate that, and we can wrap it up pretty soon. I wanted to ask Mr. Jeffrey if, after the war, he continued to be a pilot, or did he go on to oh, a different oh, profession? Oh yes, I, 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 that's right. Well, when they when they abandoned, when they disbanded my eighty four squadron and right. I came back to England, the Air Force said, uh, "Right, you're going to be released from the Air Force. Uh, what do you want to do?" So I consulted. I, I, I thought it over, and I said to my father, who I'd then come back to the Midlands, I said, "Father, I think." English roads are so down bad, and everything is such a mess. I honestly think I ought to become a get, get a tar mechanic machine and build and repair roads. And he looked at me, my father. He said, "Jeffrey, that's the last thing you want." He said, "Your main interests were in greyhounds and dogs. If you want to do what you wanted to do originally at school, become a vet. Become a vet." And I applied to the Air Force. They said, I want to go, I want to do veterinary. This is the Air Force. They said, well, okay, you haven't had the education after that stage, but we'll put you in a, on a course with some medical doctors who want to become vets and give you the elementary 
course in, in, in London. And they sent me to the Royal Veterinary College in London for an examination. And they said, for God's sake, yes, you, we'll take you as a student up there. I applied to the Air Force and I want to become a vet and a student, so I've got a job in the student. They said, we'll pay your training. So the Air Force actually paid my actually training as a vet at the Royal Veterinary College in London. So wow. they said, this is in return for your good work during the war. Oh. So they gave me a medal. They gave me a medal and a, a free education. Well, that's <laughs> and, a, and a lot of great experiences and great stories. Okay, so I want to ask you two questions. Uh, one is, can you tell me the time you were maybe the most afraid or most fearful in an airplane? And then my next question will be, what was the time you were the most at peace or most happiest? In an airplane? Oh, gosh, yes. Well, I get the answer, first answer, the first question stands out immensely on mine. I was down in flying in Burma on a, on a, in a hurricane, and I don't know where I'd been, where I'd been, but I was on duty, and, I, and it was the time of the monsoons, and monsoon rains came down, and I was flying in horrible weather back to Calcutta. Uh, to to uh, Alipore was the main aerodrome there, and I must I must have been uh, a couple of hundred miles from Calcutta, and I, my visibility was down to the zero. I looked at my darn petrol by gauge. I was very low on fuel. I couldn't afford to waste any darn fuel, and I said, "Come on!" I, and, I, and obviously, at that time, I had no navigator. I was flying hurricanes. And I couldn't see with the ground because the monsoon range was so bad. So I thought, well, the only thing is I've got a radio, and I contacted uh, my I could contact my home station, Calcutta, and said I was in trouble, low petrol, and other the other. They said, climb. I obviously by this stage now I realised that the higher I went, the more I could contact more stations to pick up my signals. So I went up to about 25,000 feet and managed to pick up a signal from Mount Everest of all places. They said, I said, I gave my number of my airplane, where I was and what I was. And they said, now at 25,000 feet, I was on oxygen, obviously. They said, transmit for 10 seconds, 10 or whatever time. And we'll we'll give you a bearing to Calcutta. So I then contacted Calcutta, and they picked my up signals up. And between the two of them, the transportation on at Mount uh, near Mount Everest and Calcutta gave me a bear cross signal, and I knew where I was. And then once I'd got my I mean, compass set, knowing where I was, I sailed home back to Calcutta. But I was that was the time when I by God I said to myself then, panic now, and you're dead. Because landing on the jungle in the middle of the night, at night in, the, in the monsoon rain, was awful. Mm. I mean, I had nowhere to land. It was jungle in, in over Burma, that, that where I was flying over. Anyhow, that was the only time really an aeroplane. I was, the only other times an aeroplane was when my ground crew forgot to make sure my coop top on my on my fighter wouldn't close. I got about twelve thousand feet and I was frozen. Because I couldn't close the cooktop. And that was, that was, that was ice cold. Because I thought anything happens now, I'm probably useless. Anyhow, nothing happened that day, thank goodness. But the, okay. the only time I ever felt out a bit of fear was 
God's sake, I don't know. I, I can't crash land here. So I don't know what I'm crashing crash landing on. So, but that was the only time I, during the war that I ever I felt any fear. <laughs> okay, so you didn't mention anything about uh, facing the enemy. You talked about being lost or low on fuel and at night over the jungle. So that does say something about flying in general. How about, was there a time when you were joyful or happy in an airplane that you remember? Uh, no, because I felt, at that time, I felt poor bugger that who I was shooting at. I'd probably shake his hands if I could see him in daytime. And I, I, rather, I always felt very sorry for the chaps I was shooting. I mean, mm. that, that was this is a true story. I mean, I, 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 I absolutely froze when I think what I was doing, but I, it was him or me. Yes. It's like in a rugby game. If you, if you don't get the ball, you, you, the only way to get the ball is to get, knock him down. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. really was... I mean, remember at that age, war was a bit of a great game. Uh, your enemy, like the other team's your enemy, they'd either shoot you or you shoot them. So you've got to, it's as straightforward as that. But you felt a great deal of sympathy. I mean, I, I wouldn't dream of shooting anybody who was going on a, down on a parachute. Oh, the poor devil, you know, he wasn't my enemy. It was, it was my job to to win the war. Mm -hmm. They said this is the only way to do it. Take out the airplane, but not the person. Just say that again. Yes, not the airplane, not the person. Yes. Yes. Yes, I want to get yeah. him out of the way, out of the war. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, you have done your country, your countrymen, and the allies uh, quite a service during the World War II escapades that you had? Uh, looking back, I, I rather enjoyed my war. <laughs> well, you survived. That's good for starters. <laughs> All right. Could, could, you, uh, could we end by, could you tell me, was there a time when you ever felt particularly happy in an airplane? Or maybe it was your first solo or just a time where you really felt at peace? No. I, was, I loved every minute. In fact, when I was on my squadrons in Burma, uh, early in the morning, you know, when, when it came light, one liked to know the height of the clouds. Uh, because the, German, the, the Japanese were coming over, obviously, above the clouds, and I'd got to get up there. And there was always one pilot. Uh, I wasn't the squadron leader then. I was, uh, I was flight lieutenant. I always said we want a volunteer to find out what the ceiling is. We hide the clouds, know it how. And we, you, one wanted to know how high they were. And as soon as it's a daylight, I, they said brain will like to take off. I took off, get up to the ceiling, and quoted. But what the ceiling was, because it was very good to know what height the Japanese would might come over off if they came. So the height of the ceiling. So no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I thought and I enjoyed flying. I, 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 I loved every minute of it in there. Yeah. It, it was, it, 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 it was uh, yeah. as long as the engine kept going, and the only time when I thought the engine might down stop was in Burma when on that, in, the, in the monsoon rain. Yeah. And that was in the dark because I didn't know, I couldn't, my navigation was not the greatest in that country anyhow. 
<laughs> well, you, you still have the sparkle in the eyes of a military pilot, but when you became a, a, a veterinarian, did you ever fly again just for fun or on your own? Well, not, not on my own, I didn't. Uh, uh, it rather fascinating was the best man at my wedding when I, I married the girl I met in Indonesia, uh, the best man at the wedding, fellow uh, uh, called Donald Touch. He was a, he was the son of a, uh, of a, of a transport manager down in south of England. I invited him to the, my best man at the wedding because he was used to Donald Touch during the war, was a uh, a, a, a was a pilot who flew special airplanes all over the place. Uh, he was in, uh, for, for, uh, examin examining the engines and what have you. And Donald Touch came down to my wedding. After that, he came up to Oxford and taught teaching uh, the, the local pilots in Oxford, uh, near Oxford to fly. And he got killed in a mosquito, teaching them to fly. Oh. So poor old Donald Touch did a great job in the war and got killed privately back in England six, seven months after the war. So uh, was a, so I always say for prayer for him at night as well. I'm sorry to hear that. So, I'm, I'm, so my main prayers were for Jack Strickland, Owen and Carter and Jolica. Those three, the other trees, the terrible mistake they made was when you've got to come in with a disused aeroplane, you can't, can't, you can't, you, you don't be too, don't be clever. Don't, I, I, they used to land where they thought, they thought they could get their wheels down and land and save their aircraft. They always paid you, uh, if you've got a crash landing, uh, land with your wheels up. So this is, an, this is after action and damaged, and a damaged aircraft, isn't it? Okay. Right, right. Yeah, yes. But, but, but this is, yes. A damaged aircraft. Never try to be clever. Uh -huh. so, let's just to make that clear, I don't know how clear that was. Your no, point understand. was... Yes, yeah. my point was is uh, get down on the ground on your belly. Don't... If, the, if you've got a damaged aeroplane or anything like that, get down on your belly and you'll survive. Yeah. But you, you will never survive on, unless you're landing on a very smooth surface or the sea. Or something like that on the, on the beach or something like that. Mm. Yes. But uh, well, yeah, yes, yes, Mr. Brain, you are a hero to your countrymen and to those of us <laughs> who enjoy oh, aviation. Uh, we just spent an hour telling your story, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, sir. Well, I'm sorry, I, 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 I can't see what interest it is, but still, thank you very <laughs> much for en encouraging me to to think back over a few years. Thank well, you. there are people who enjoy these stories very much. And uh, again, happy birthday soon because the generation is uh, thank you. not so able to tell these stories anymore. Well, so we're glad to have you. Well, thanks be to God, I'm still here at this moment. Hey everyone, just real quick. When I first released this episode in July 2020, I said before the interview that I would not be back at the end. But as I now record this short message on March 16th, 2022, I want to inform you that I learned from the Brain family that Jeffrey passed away yesterday, just shy of his 100th birthday. 
Naturally, our sincerest condolences go out to the Brain family and really to freedom-loving people the world over because we have now lost yet another member of the greatest generation. I am told Jeffrey passed peaceably at home, surrounded by his family, and I can't think of a better way to go than that. So, Mr. Jeffrey Brain, 1922 to 2022. Rest in peace, kind sir. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.